1: Pod Save the Queen. Hello,
2: and welcome back to Pod save the Queen. I am your host, Anne Griffith. I'm here with Daily Merit royal editor Russell Myers. Hello, Russell. Nice to see you.
1: Hello, and lovely to see you.
2: And Princess Charlotte is a whole year older than when we last spoke. Well, well, come typically. on. That's how you <laughs> count it. Although some of us say she's already telling people she's sixteen or something, and she does look very grown up in that picture.
1: Well, I can imagine, you know, she might be a bit of a madam, bossing them all around, uh, (laughs) keeping them in check. Uh, That was Prince William. We'll come on to that. He he was talking about her yesterday, how they had a lovely, lovely birthday. They are able to have another family round because restrictions are lifting somewhat. We're all getting a bit excited. Hopefully the weather will be better. Get into the pub and have a nice time. You don't have to have your meal on the side of the road in the wind and the rain, and waiting for your uh, your drink to spill over because of a gust of wind. So, yeah, fingers it has, crossed.
2: It has to be said, the weather has been uniformly awful ever since mm. we were allowed to go hang out outside. But anyway, there we go, enough about the pub. There's lots to talk about today. There's various Royals have been out and about, um, this side of the Atlantic and on the other side as well. And also, we have a very special guest this week, Russell. Do you know who I spoke oh. to earlier?
0: <sighs>
1: Tell me.
2: I spoke to my husband. Well, I mean, oh, yes. <laughs> fine, that's not like a massive surprise to speak to one's husband on any given day, but he is also Deputy Political Editor of the Daily Mirror, and I spoke to him about the Queen's speech, which is coming up next week, and about um, how that all happens in surprise the Surprise we can afford him. Well, mate's rates, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I think I've got to do the washing up probably for the rest of the week. But anyway, um, lots of royal bits and pieces to talk about. But first of all, let's go back to that lovely picture of Princess Charlotte. I mean, six. I mean, she does look very, she looks really grown up. Her hair's got really long as well. Um, She's got that teeny smile. Obviously, any time any pictures of the kids come out, it's like, who does she look most like? Is it Kate? Is it William? Is it the Queen? Is it Prince George? Who are you
1: going for? The Queen. The Queen. So someone has sent me a picture of the Queen at seven, and it's just striking. I mean, I, I I thought she was a sort of a mixture of William and Kate, and then I I was just blown away by this picture of the Queen at, when she was seven years old. So I'm going with the Queen. I'm going with the Queen.
2: Well, I think people have always been um, quite sort of. Keen to draw the comparisons between Charlotte and the Queen ever since she was little, so it'll be interesting to see whether that continues as she grows up. Very cute little dress by Rachel Riley, not the Rachel Riley off countdown, but the designer lady Rachel Riley um that she 's wearing, and a nice sort of sort of toothy, toothy grin, and she's definitely got her mum 's hair with the sort of well, it, of it was just quite hair.
1: relaxed wasn 't it It's just you know just like a normal child' got like normal kids playing around like when Louis scuffed his shoes up on his Thursday at nursery a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and now yeah, this is just a nice, relaxed photo. They're yeah, great shots. Like,
2: she's not got glossy, you know, the sort of done done hair. I mean, she looks like she's probably just about stopped running around for five minutes to be, uh, to be grabbed for a photo. Stand still! <laughs> Map. Off you go again, probably. But um, it was slightly unusual how this picture came out because there was one place where it wasn't posted because princess charlotte's birthday happened over the course of the bank holiday weekend when prince william and the kensington royal social feeds were boycotting social media in solidarity with um it's an initiative started from football in terms of highlighting the lack of action particularly around racist abuse and kind of hate speech and that kind of thing on the platform and we had one of those um signed tweets from Prince William, which if I just find it, I forgot to get this I've one. got it
1: here. He said as <laughs> president of the FA, I joined the entire football community in the social media boycott this weekend and signed off with a W. Um, I mean this is quite it's a big deal because you know not only the Raw's are so busy on social media aren't they? They've got sort of fifteen million um, combined followers on Instagram and uh, and Twitter, um, and so to, to to take that stand, I think was a, a really important voice to be added to the many institute organizations and institutions. The Mirror being one of them, um, which was very important to yeah, add our, our accounts, weight. You our know, sports our sports accounts, accounts were which is very very of course, and this is in solidarity with the footballers who've received shocking levels. Of deplorable racist abuse and and unfortunately things seem to be getting worse so I do, certainly do think this is something we need to take a stand on and um you know exclusively or earlier this year we exclusively revealed how uh, how William had called an emergency meeting with um with chiefs at the Football Association obviously he is president of the FA and I um, basically saying enough is enough and I know we've sort of heard him echo these these sentiments beforehand um, but I I do think there are things happening, well I know there are things happening in the background at the moment um, to do with the FA, to do with the Kick It Out campaign which is a big anti-racism campaign in football here in the UK um, to try and really get to the crux of the issue here and from the campaigns that I've spoken to in recent weeks it seems to be that there's this issue that people are hiding behind the veil of um anonymity on social media and whereas you know kick it out campaign and lots of work was done to ban appalling racist language um and sentiment from the terraces back in sort of the 80s and the 90s this is now the issue where it's sort of faceless um twitter accounts Sometimes they can be tracked down and prosecuted, but on the whole, these are people who can hide behind a profile, normally with a no picture and a lot of numbers at the at the end of their handle. But it's a serious, serious issue, and it is affecting uh, sportsmen and women um, across the country, across the world. And I think it's time that um, the social media giants, which is what essentially. William is trying to do is trying to get them to the table and say, right, what are you going to do about this? And we've seen he had some success with the uh, the, the cyberbullying campaign that was running in conjunction with the BBC like a year or two ago. But this is uh this is definitely a new um, a new battle that he uh, that he will be taking on in the coming months. You can um, you can be sure of that.
2: No, it's, it is interesting. Football is such a you know fundamental part of the fabric of of Britain really, and and. Obviously there's a lot of money in it, but there's also a lot of attention on it and the high profile of the players and that kind of thing. So it can be a force for, for change and highlighting particular issues. So we will see how that one evolves. However, they are he and Kate, they're getting a bit more into the social media now in some ways as well with the YouTube channel. A bit I think they didn't have one already.
1: Well, the royal family have one. It's weird actually, because there's two it's easy to get confused. I mean, I'm easily confused at the best of times, but there is a Royal family one that has about 850,000 followers. And there is the Royal family channel one, which has about 1.2 million subscribers, but that's actually like a commercial enterprise. It's nothing to do with the Royal family. Um, So I don't know who it's owned by actually, but it's got sort of lots of fancy clips and voiceovers and bits from documentaries here and there. Um, but, yeah, the Duke and Duchess with Cambridge are sort of broadening their horizons. I mean, I'm, I am surprised they didn't sort of have this. I just presume that they did, and I didn't follow it really. But it's got it's obviously not going to have any advertising with it, um, no doubt. they. I was a bit surprised about that, actually, because I, I did question this, and I thought, well, you know, if they could monetize it and then put that towards the Royal Foundation or some sort of other charity, surely that would be a good thing. But they—they're not going to do that. It's going to have no adverts because imagine the sort of hits that their videos get. That—that that video with um, with the family in Norfolk week before, last but you was can't control the really adverts really going
2: in front of it. And imagine if it's some like weird, I don't know. Shop.
1: Yeah, that's... toothpaste
2: or I mean nothing against toothpaste. Everybody needs some toothpaste. They yeah, do. They do. Or, they do. or but... you know. Peculiar so things.
1: That video by Will War, the um, with the kids on the beach and playing Anmer, that's got millions of views. So I mean, it's one point two million on their uh, on their Instagram. Twitter. I can't I couldn't see it on Instagram? Actually, you can oh, see how really many views long. it's got. It's well, no, it's too short. Because if it's a longer video, it will tell you how many views it's got. Unless I'm doing it wrong, which is probably the issue. I you doing it
2: wrong. 7.9 million plays on Instagram.
1: Really? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's huge. So then you, now, let's say you've, you know, millions and millions of people have seen this. So what they're going to do is they're going to put all these videos in one place. Am I supposed to put them all over Twitter and Instagram as well? But it's just a, another place to have them and reach an arguably younger audience because most people I know who watch YouTube are kids right and they are they don't watch TV they don't use Twitter they might d- use instagram but it's you know, it's mostly on youtube so um it's by reaching a new audience it's not going to be uh, sort of a profit making vehicle of course and um, they're going to be doing some unseen footage from behind the scenes so anything that I may go to whether it's in you know the aston Villa uh performance centre or it might be doing something in Windsor with the Welsh Guards that Charles has been doing today. Well, the Cambridge is going to put that content on the YouTube channel um with some unseen videos. So this is in a space-time continuum, isn't it? So by the time this comes out, I think, well, I hope it will be out because it's going to come out at 4 o'clock today on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, and they'll probably already have like... gazillion subscribers well it's going to be some
1: unseen footage so that's the exciting thing for later on this afternoon
2: exciting 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 so were you at Aston Villa then or was that just no I wasn't
1: I've just made that up but I wasn't I wasn't there but (laughs) uh, but I I had a trusty colleague who was there and I did I did write about it yesterday so I I, um I know a lot about it it was it seemed rather fun
2: well, I would imagine William was delighted to go visit Aston Villa and, uh, you know, the football club that he supports and see some of the good works that they're doing, meet some of the players and that kind of thing. And probably compliment them on having a far better season than they had last year when they were dicing with relegation. It's all been quite um, quite steady this year, which I'm sure he's very glad about. Well, they there's, there's still what lost the West to West Ham.
1: The mighty West Ham they still lost to. Yeah, so.
2: the, the Myers-Cambridge <laughs> derby, as it yeah. is. Pod Save the Queen Derby, is it is now. Well, I haven't,
1: I haven't seen him, but I'll, I'll I'll hopefully remind him of it if one I get day. the opportunity. One day. So um,
2: what, what else went on up at Villa Park?
1: Well, he was wearing his club's colours, which was uh, rather fetching. He was wearing a maroon jumper and a blue shirt, which people were picking up on. But I, one of the best stories I liked... Well, there was two actually really nice stories. He paid tribute to Dean Smith's father. Dean Smith is the manager of Aston Villa, and Dean Smith's father uh, sadly died from COVID after contracting COVID earlier in the year. And um, and he was a sort of lifelong supporter, um, local lad as as uh, Dean Smith was as well, and uh, had been a steward at the club for for many many years. And, uh, and William was saying some really lovely things, actually, just saying that he would be so proud of him doing the job that he has done since 2018 with the club, taking them from strength to strength, and no doubt they are going to move on to um, bigger or better things. They've just opened this £6 million um, high-performance centre. It looks very, very flashy, sort of bringing them into the 21st century. Um, but one of the, the, the funniest ones was that one of the defenders admitted that he got stopped by the police on his way to the meeting and he actually said to the cops listen you've got to let me go because i've got a meeting with the duke of cambridge and we don't really know we couldn't find out what actually happened or whether he was actually done for speeding did he get a ticket but he ended up making the appointment so one may only presume that the police let him off with a across cross and knuckles and uh, and they let him go but william I I think it was sort of a bit of an awkward laugh, but he did find it funny. And he said, oh, you know, best not to tell me how uh, fast you were going, but he he still found it quite (laughs) funny. It was quite amusing.
2: Oh dear, good. So he's been out and about doing that. Um, And over the other side of the Atlantic... Lots going on. So Prince Harry's mental health series is on the way later this month we're expecting. And then he, you know, appeared on stage at a big old concert situation um, around the vaccination. So we've obviously talked a lot about uh, the Royal family supporting the, you know, vaccination program and rollout over here, which is, you know, continues apace with people getting their seconds and, and whatnot. and we've, you know, we've seen any number of visits to COVID centres and the royals have shed, you know, when they've had their jabs and things as well. Um, and this was Prince Harry's turn, I guess, to do his bit from his side of the pond to, um, to be bigging up the world of vaccinations.
1: What did I say earlier? Like John Bon Jovi? We apparently we'd already used that analogy. I no, don't know. No, why no, keep
2: no. John Bon Not Jovi. Jo- no, he was saying that he'd worked with John Bon Jovi last year when they were doing oh, well, the I... stuff for Invictus with that funny little, you know, the pretend text messages that they were doing, and then they were singing oh, together, weren't they? That was
1: that was pretty tragic, wasn't it? it, was, it was I awful. mean,
2: come on, you get to have a laugh with John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do whatever, you, but he was going. I mean, is John Bon Jovi even
1: cool? I mean, it was—it's it, our be, era, isn't
2: it? Yeah, you can't dis jump on Jovi. I'm sorry. Really?
1: I mean, I'm not really a fan of jump on Jovi. Like, to be honest.
2: ultimately, you've got to stick with the original—the original music from from our era. Well, it's probably even before our oh my era. God, when it, that was when they were big hair, the big hair and the rocking, and all of that, all of that good stuff from back. Ours, ours
1: is probably speed, speed garage, no, and yeah. what Britpop, else? Come on, we're Brit, Britpop. Britpop. We're yeah, Britpop. we're a bit cooler. we a bit cooler.
2: Um, Anyway, yeah.
1: he was out on stage. He was calling for vaccines to be distributed to everybody, everywhere. And I think that's a sentiment we can all agree with. But it was a star-studded charity concert in Los Angeles. I mean, look at the people who were there. Selena Gomez, host. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, the Foo Fighters. Joe Biden also spoke. I mean, it's it's a pretty
2: it hol- right hollywood tested,
1: isn't it? hollywood tested, But he got a standing ovation and obviously praising the efforts of the frontline workers so it was frontline workers who were there wasn't it and then they'd all been it was at the SoFi stadium in los angeles it's an indoor, indoor arena i think isn't it and um all the all the people who were there had been vaccinated so it was that's why it was called they <laughs> yes, had it. The, sorry go and on. they were front and they were frontline workers so that was all about it and now he was saying tonight is a celebration of each of you here the vaccinated frontline workers in the audience and the millions of frontline heroes around the world. You have spent the last year battling courageously and selflessly to protect us all. You served and sacrificed, put yourself in harm's way and acted with bravery, knowing the cost. We owe you a debt of gratitude. Thank you. Hear, hear. It's something we can all agree with. But it was his first appearance since Prince Philip's funeral. And he had to quarantine himself when he got back to... His house in California. Um, Megan was on the bill but didn't appear, which I found a little bit surprising. Maybe
2: she's a very pregnant lady.
1: Yeah, but you can still walk. <laughs> Can't you? I mean, she's not due till Well, would you? Reckon? Early summer. Early summer, wasn't
2: it? Six Early weeks
1: summer.
2: away. Quite Less soon, maybe.
1: Maybe. June, July, August. I so yeah, I reckon think six weeks.
2: If you're a pregnant lady that's that pregnant, I think you have a right to just say no, not today. I can't do it.
1: Sit on the but, couch.
2: Yeah, that's but, what I'd be doing. But I think it is fair to say that the kind of the next, the next frontier for probably for, certainly for the uk and the us where the vaccines have been rolling out pretty well is like helping to get them around the world so shout out to, shout out to my friend sarah lewis who is working on um one of those programs the aim being that if you go and get your vaccine you give one to somewhere else as well so like donate one so that's
1: go- how do you do that oh, how do you do that
2: go give one.org
1: how do you do that
2: well like it's i guess it's like providing funding for them
1: oh you can give anyway. money okay that's a yeah. good idea yeah it's so a great go- idea
2: one dot org. So anyway, that's okay. My, my check it out. Sarah Lewis has been working on. Anyway, enough about that. But
1: this this event raised forty million pounds, nearly fifty five million dollars, and that was at the time. So it's a uh, yeah, a great a great cause. Big effort. <laughs> Big effort indeed. But when are we going to see Harry and Meghan? Are we going to see them together before she has the baby? Do you think?
2: I think she's entirely reasonable to be like. Actually, I'm on maternity leave now. And that's
1: fine. That's Although, a bit early. Come on, that's a bit uh, early. Six weeks. No, I, mean, I thought we'd see her <laughs> do something for this book.
2: The book, yes. That's I came. News of the book emerged yesterday. So Tuesday, the bench, which yeah. I mean, if you, if you were looking at the name the bench you might be thinking about i mean everything's about football for me today clearly like who's been left on the bench um but it's a you know nice picture of a garden bench a bit like a bit like the one in my parents garden but it's um a book about the relationship of a father and his child um seen through the eyes of the mum i believe and inspired surprise surprise by harry and archie and they say write about what you know so, I mean, you get away with it every day, Russell, obviously, writing about all kinds of things. But, um, you know, that's that often is the advice given to wannabe authors. So what do we know about
1: the book? Well, it's, it's ba- it was based on a poem that she wrote for Father's Day. And then it's developed into this book, which is came out of the blue, really. Although some people have been talking that she'd been potentially touting this to publishers over the last couple of years. I can neither confirm or deny that. I mean, I don't know, to be honest. But, um, I mean, it's sold out on Amazon already, so it's obviously very, very popular. Undoubtedly, a bit of controversy about whether, you know, relationships between a child and their father, some people have been making... Uh, certain comments around it, which you could get, which you could guess,
2: versus her own, her relationship it, with her own Of father. course,
1: I mean it seems to be quite a nice little tale, doesn't it? Um, and no doubt drawing from her experience of her you know, her Harry being in the forces. There's a, a very nice illustration of um, Harry, or the central character, wearing the uh, the army fatigues and uh, and the and the young little boy delighted that he's seeing his father again I mean again I'm just trying to find the blurb about it what did you think about it
2: I thought it's you know I mean children's books there's a lot of them out there and some are great some are not so great and the, the you people have different kinds of things that they like I think I'm more like action and adventure and japes and fun rather than the sort of I'm going to guess slightly sickly sweet um, variety that this is probably more likely to be but maybe it's because I'm a cynical old hack um but I I guess I also thought like the number of people who have probably you know are probably trying to write children's books and get themselves published and all that kind of thing and then you know once you're the Duchess of Cambridge then you can just get a book published (laughs) pretty much if you want to Um, so I thought I thought that was interesting. I kind of felt for those people. But then it also reminded me of um a couple of interviews that I listened to while I was driving around at the weekend. One with um Floella Benjamin, who was a um children's presenter back when you and I were little. She used to present yeah, at play I love, school. She yeah. was great. So I listened to her Desert Island discs and she was talking about how she had been fighting for better re- representation. On screen of of non white faces essentially from the sort of nineteen seventies, and then there was another interview with an author who I hadn't heard of, a children's author called Hamza Ashad, whose new book, Little Bad Man and the Radioactive Samosa, so that, which is a fantastic name for a book. That's amazing. Yeah, but I think he. Was, I think the stat was something like only one percent of children's books had when he like when he was little sort of had any sort of non white representation. So I think. So I think there's, you know, so I think that's interesting, and I'm sure that the sort of um, representativeness and in, increasing that would be, would be a good thing. But uh, I, yeah, I guess I do also feel well. I mean, it's great being a Duchess. Doors open for you, lovely. Isn't it
1: just, it's lovely. I mean, I, I haven't read the book, so uh, I'll will um, we'll no doubt see it when it comes out. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, will this be a series of them? Perhaps it will be the new budgie, the helicopter.
2: <laughs> Sarah Ferguson has got uh, stiff, a stiff
1: competition. Stiff competition.
2: That is the word. Um, but a heart we... for a compass. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very good. Very good producer, Dan.
2: Thanks, Dan. He's got the magic button. Um, but, however, well, when, copy, copyright not at issue on this book, because that will all have been dealt with by the publishers and such like. But the lawsuit, Megan's lawsuit, continues for the latest round in court in action today. What's, what's the latest? What's going on?
1: Well, it's, a, it's quite complicated, as are the nature of these things. However, it's to do, it's not the appeal so Megan obviously had won her her claim um, against Associated news, Newspapers, ma- the Mail Online and the Mail on Sunday for publishing extracts from the letter that she'd written to her father. Now, she'd, she'd won that in the most part um, about the copyright claim and about the invasion into her privacy. So this is to just work out the real nuts and bolts of the copyright claim. And it's all quite wordy with the legal jargon so i shan't go into too much detail it is very geeky however it's um what is quite interesting is that the the issue was about cop- copyright claim did she own the copyright did uh, Jason Canalf, who was the uh, communications officer secretary at the time, who gave her some pointers about what to include in this letter. Did he own some of the copyright or partial claims of the copyright? He is saying that he didn't. Megan was claiming that it was hers. The Mail on Sunday was claiming that, you know, it was a dual copyright and therefore she didn't own it. Um, anyway, Isaac, this has is surely got to be the last installment of this case. Because it's been rumbling on for so many months and um, Megan's already come out and and given a lengthy statement about, uh, about winning it. So uh, I, get, I think that the crux of it, as I understood it, was that the Associated newspapers were going to have to pay even more court costs because of the case that they had brought in the first instance. So undoubtedly, it's going to be a bit bruising for those, uh, for them. Um, but they're still going to appeal. So we haven't had this front page apology from the uh, from the Mail on Sunday as yet. Uh, there was all sorts of wranglings about whether it was going to be on the front page. It is going to be on the front page, about whether what font was going to be used, how big it needed to be. I mean, it will probably be many more months before it actually sees the light of day. Um, but they're still going to an appeal. So we, we've just got to wait. gotta wait. Um, I mean, down. It is enough. It is a, it is a, it is a, it is a a a long, very very long winded saga that they obviously don't want to give up just yet.
2: Well, okay, good. I think we'll we will move on and we'll leave yeah, the let's lawyers move on. to it's it. It's not let's... very
1: interesting. I think we, you know, for the for her part, she's won the case, and uh, I think that this is you know a lot of wranglings. Apologies if you are a, a legal eagle, but
2: yeah, who's winning the most probably though? The lawyers.
1: They are. Cha-ching. ching
2: Very good. But anyway, if, if people want to pay the lawyers the money to have the arguments, then that's not the lawyer's fault. Indeed. Anyway, um, Megan isn't the only one who's been doing a bit of writing. Kate has been doing a bit of writing for Nursing Now. No, not Nursing Now, Nursing Times.
1: Nursing She's Times.
2: Interviewing a midwife to mark the International Day of the Midwife, which is very lovely. And I have to say... Um, it's quite interesting seeing a slightly different picture rather than the sort of shared, uh, shared video call screen or whatever because we get to see Kate's lovely hair. What do well, you do? Casually in a half up to, just the draped, just perfectly just sitting there and she's in sort of glorious royal royal nursing blue. Um,
1: well, there was a couple of pics that came out. There was sort of one from behind her. There was one from the side and, gosh, you've... If you haven't seen this interview, go to, I mean, I've tweeted it, but it's also at Nursing Times as well, and I've tweeted the link to it. And But today is International Day of the Midwife, and Dutch. Cambridge has interviewed a community nurse midwife, Harriet Nayega, um, who is just an extraordinary person. And when you read this interview, she's talking about the trials and daily trials and tribulations of being a midwife in uganda um and the the real sort of heartache that is exists on a daily basis and i think that we are so blessed and fortunate in the western world to have easy access to um to medicine to hospitals and when they don't have this in places like Ugandan communities that it takes you an awful long time to get to hospital. So there's an awful lot of women who are having children at home. They don't have the medical supplies in order to, to make sure that's a safe birth um, many times. And also they're giving birth on the way to hospital or they haven't gone to hospital because they think it's too far or they don't have any means to get there. So it was just about how she was trying to change the perception of midwifery and change the actual issues that were embedded within the communities. Um, And it's an extraordinary interview, really. And she also talks about some really, really hard hitting subjects about sexual abuse in communities, um, about midwifery and how it's become one of the pillars of those communities. And so Kate was talking to her about her vision for something called MILCOT, which is uh, an initiative that she has led called the Midwife-Led Community Transformation. Um, And all about trying to educate young girls about pregnancy, um, about being safe um, within their sexual health as well. So if you haven't seen it, go to Nursing Times. It's a really, really good interview and um, and celebrates everything that is to do with the International Day of the Midwife today.
2: Lovely. Um Charles has been out and about as well, but I mean not gone particularly far afield, down to Windsor to see the Welsh Guards.
1: He has. We're turning up in his very nice Tesla, his his oh, yes. electric car, which he calls a bit of style. Although we've seen it before, I don't know why people are going mad about it, but it's a very nice car. Um he has been going to the Welsh Guards today and Essentially, just talking to them about their involvement in Prince Philip's funeral, which was very, very nice, actually. He was, of course, sort of questioning them and saying, you know, were you part of the funeral? Thanking them for their involvement as well. Um, and also, sort of checking in with them, because the thing with the Wealth guards is they, are, they do a lot of protecting the royal family when They're in the UK, but they also go away to on deployments as well. So they've been to um Iraq recently, though I think they're due to go again fairly soon. And so it's um, it's quite a nice engagement actually. And good to see the royals getting out and about again. This is what we want to see because yes. just I like
2: seen... being out and about, don't you? Well,
1: they do, yeah, yeah, they do. Oh, they, this one, they've been recently deployed deployed, deployed to the Falkland Islands, Nigeria, and Kenya, but they've also done a load of stuff with COVID as well. So the 1st Battalion, of Welsh Guards, not only deploy on operations throughout the world, they have been doing an awful lot to do with the COVID Support Force, which is, remember when we needed to get all the Welsh Guards out, doing all the testing in the UK, setting up the mobile testing sites, they were um, absolutely influential in doing all of that as well. So it was part of saying thank you for their efforts during Prince Philip's uh, funeral, but also thanking them for their efforts during COVID as well.
2: And I also thought it was quite nice um, last week. My rare appearance, a rare appearance. For- both getting tongue t- tongues in a twist today. Mm. A rare appearance for Mike Tyndall on the royal family's um Instagram page after he made this sort of a joint um, appearance with Duchess of Gloucester doing Parkinson's Awareness Day because his dad suffers with Parkinson's. So I thought that was that was rather nice. We don't probably see a huge amount of the Duchess of Gloucester on there either. So maybe this is part of the part of the change. It's probably just a one off for Mike Tyndall, I suspect. But um, you know,
1: we a couple of times, isn't he? Because he's been sort of commenting about how the queen was stoic and amazing and sitting on her own. So we've heard a little bit from Mike recently, but this was quite nice that they were team. And they seem to get on very well. If you've seen the video. They were, you know, they have obviously they're not, they're you not know, lot of strangers. You know, I know there's distant family members, but um, it was quite interesting. This about you talking about the terrible, Mike talking about the terrible impact Parkinson's has had on his father. Philip. And, um, I thought, you know, the unfortunate isolation his parents have had to go through as well. Um, throughout, because of th- throughout the coronavirus crisis and still paying tribute to his mother, Linda, calling her a very stoic Northern lady who refuses to give her man up. But also it's sort of a double-edged sword because she, she has a bit of a struggle of accepting help from other people. And, no doubt, Parkinson's is a very, very testing disease for both the person who is suffering, but also their family. Um, but it just it gave a different view of him, because we're used to him talking and making jokes in his rugby podcast, and we've seen him talking about, you know, the new arrivals. Um, what's his son calls again?
2: Luca. No. Lucas, Lucas
1: Philip Lucas that's it and so talking about you know great things happening or dashing off into the gym to get a uh a yoga mat and the towels um but this was him as a bit of a lighter side of him and then he was on BBC Breakfast the following morning talking about how how the queen who he was just absolutely in awe with the awe, awe of the queen who had been forced to you know as we all know sit on her own and um and endure Prince Philip's funeral on her own, which is still terribly, terribly sad. However, m- many times you see those photographs, they're just sort of a a crazy window into the crazy world at the moment, aren't they? Mm.
2: And then that other little baby who has a middle name for Prince Philip. So um, Mike Tyndall's dad is called Philip as well. So his his baby gets um double named for Philips. But um August made another appearance in the pictures of Jack Brooks for Jack's birthday, still wearing, I'm happy to see, his little boxer style jacket with his name on the back. So that was that was very cute. And usually he's clearly quite delighted with, with life and her two boys. Um Russell, what is coming up next week? Is there anything that you can tell me about? Or am I going to just have to ask the other the other man in my podcast life this week?
1: I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't divulge. I kind Oh, you know what is interesting to see, um, or oh, no, Matt, is the release of the Hold Still book, which is on Friday. Oh yes, Someone's just reminded me of that. And actually, that's that's great. So. Um, That's on Friday. Looking forward to seeing that. You can order it on pre-sale from the National Portrait Gallery. No doubt that is great because all the um, contributions, all the profits are going to the National Portrait Gallery and some of their schemes as well. So get involved.
2: Great. All right. Well, this time next week, the Queen will have done her thing in Parliament, as she does periodically. Um, So... Yeah, I had I had a chat with uh with the husband to find out a bit more about it. So this is what we talked about earlier. Hello Ben, welcome to Pod Save the Queen. This is a little bit odd because not only are you Deputy Political Editor of the Daily Mirror, you are also my husband. So I haven't interviewed you before, so this might be a little bit funny, but thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure. Well, pleasure to have you here and to get your insight on the Queen's Speech, which is coming up next week. So tell us a bit about it.
0: That's right. So uh, the Queen's Speech and the State Opening of Parliament takes place on May the 11th. Um, normally, we have uh, a Queen's Speech and uh, the start of the parliamentary session about once every year to 15 months. Um, this has been an extended one because of coronavirus. Uh, it's not yet one of the uh, the longest sessions of parliament that's ever been. Uh, We had one of those not long ago with Brexit but this um, is an opportunity for the government to uh, give the monarch a speech which she reads out and it sets forward the government's legislative proposals for the coming parliamentary session. So basically what it wants to do, the bills it wants to put forward and the parts of its manifesto that it plans to enact over the coming coming year or so.
2: So does the Queen get any say in what she has to say or even how she says it?
0: Unfortunately for the Queen, no. She has to read what the government has written for her. So with a government that has talked a lot about levelling up and building back better from the pen- pandemic, we can expect to, to hear the Queen say those. And they always sound rather odd, her parroting government uh, soundbites and election slogans. But that is the duty of a constitutional monarch um, in, our, in our country. So yes, expect to hear the Queen talk about how her government will build back better and how it uh, plans to level up parts of the country.
2: I can imagine the Queen probably speaks a little bit more like Theresa May than she speaks like Boris Johnson when she's behind palace doors.
0: Yes, I mean, Boris doesn't write it himself. He uh, obviously has a lot to do with it. So, But I expect some of the uh, the Borisisms, if you like, they won't be in there because the uh, the editors of the Queen's speech will uh, will tone it down a bit so you shouldn't hear some of the sort of colourful language that we've come to associate with our Prime Minister um, spilling forth from the, the Queen's mouth. Um, obviously, the speech is written in conjunction uh, with the palace. in so much as it is seen by officials so that there's nothing that would embarrass the Queen for example but it is written by the government um, in so much as it's you know they are it is Her Majesty's government and these are the things that they've been elected to do and this is setting out uh, what they plan to deliver.
2: So state opening of Parliament usually quite grand What level of grand can we expect this year, which is obviously a slightly different time?
0: Exactly. Well, it'll be a very stripped-back affair, Um, as we saw with uh, Prince Philip's funeral. A lot of the royal pageantry that we'd normally expect with uh, the the funeral of a monarch's consort didn't take place. Um, So the government has already said that there will be reduced ceremonial elements and attendees. So a a lot of the things that we normally think would take place at the state opening, um, they, they won't happen. It remains to be seen quite how stripped back it will be but for example you used to see in um, the red leather benches of the house of lords packed and the Queen sits on the throne to uh, to read the Queen's speech, they won't be packed this time. There may be around about 50 peers um, in the chamber, which is because of social distancing. Um, in the same way that the House of Commons has come to operate on a far reduced capacity over the past uh, 14 months or so, so has the House of Lords. So you won't see um, rows and rows and rows of peers packed into the second chamber. Um, in addition, there will be a reduced royal procession, so a sort of vast procession of people, officials, hangers on the gentleman usher of the wand, etc. We won't see all that this time. It'll be... Far more likely just to be the Queen and Prince Charles and a few, perhaps ladies in waiting or a few, uh, a few page boys, that sort of thing. It won't be the grand ceremony that we've come to to expect over decades. Um, there won't be any diplomatic or non-parliamentary guests. That is to say, usually, um, a load of ambassadors are invited along. So, you know, the Queen, the representative, the head of the Commonwealth, um, these ambassadors, the envoys, the diplomats, they come along to see how, how it works in uh, what has become known as the Mother of Parliaments. We won't see that this time. It'll be the bare, bare necessities, the bare essentials that we'll see at this state opening on May the 11th.
2: And what about the MPs? Because normally they cram in, don't they, to try and listen. They get sort of dragged over there. And
0: That's right. When Blackrod knocks on the door of uh, the House of Commons... The, uh, they are summoned to the House of Peers to to go and see the Queen, to hear her deliver the speech. Um, the MPs won't, there won't be many MPs in the House of Commons to be summoned. Um, I suspect we will be seeing the Prime Minister and the Labour leader Keir Starmer will probably go over and stand at the Bar of the Lords. But in a way we've come, used to seeing dozens and dozens of MPs packed into the bottom, onto the floor of the Lords, standing at that bar, which is like the gap right at the door before you get to the main chamber. We won't see that this time because because of the uh, the worry that um, that they may be infectious with coronavirus. And it's entirely possible that because they don't have speaking roles, in fact, it's more than likely, I would say, that those uh, those MPs who do go there will be wearing masks And the peers who are there will also be wearing masks because it is the Queen's speech. She is the only one who is going to speak. Um, I would expect that everyone else will be masked when they're not speaking, as has become the custom um, in Parliament over the last few months.
2: And you mentioned Prince Philip's funeral earlier and um, we spoke on the show uh, when I was talking with Russell last week or the week before about the kind of those first things that you do after a loved one has died. So this is the first time she will have gone and done the Queen's speech without Philip not being able to say to him over the breakfast table, look at this awful rot, awful rot I've got to go read out to them. Or this sounds like a good plan. I'm glad my government's doing this or whatever, whatever they might have been chatting about over their, their cornflakes. Back in the day, he did used to go with her. He's obviously not been with her for for some time will she have prince charles alongside her this year is he is he expected to attend
0: that's right the last few queen speeches it hasn't been prince philip it has been prince charles as the heir who has accompanied his mother while she delivers the speech sort of constitutional passing of the baton if you like always will be it's very it's happening very subtly yes we are expecting charles to be uh, with her majesty um this uh, this occasion as well um he is he also, she obviously sees the government's red boxes. One day he will be in her position. Um, so it's important to, for her to have him alongside her, um, both as an emotional support, but also so he can see how it works, because one day it'll be him sitting on that throne, delivering a king's speech.
2: And you've been in there once or twice, I think. What's it like on... On a normal kind, normal, if the Queen's speech is ever normal, what it, what's it like being in there and what happens on the day itself?
0: So the first time I walked into the House of Commons chamber, um, having seen it however many times on television, the first thing you, you notice is, this is a lot smaller than I thought it was, the first time I went into the House of Lords chamber, just massively overwhelmed by all the red leather and the gold, and, you know, it's extraordinary. Then when I went in for the Queen's speech, Everything glistens, you know, everything's been polished a bit more. The Queen sat there, you know, with diamonds on, on her about her on her head, and everything's just shiny and sparkly. And you sit and you're like, this is this is Britain. This is, you know, this is how we do ceremony. This is how we, this is our constitution, this is an important part of our parliamentary democracy with a sovereign. Um and you look at it and it is it makes you it makes you proud to be British, but it also just the overwhelming sense of history and pageantry um it it is overwhelming in there it literally takes your breath away
2: and is there normally some kind of social is there a little party afterwards that the queen gets to go to or is it um is it straight back to the palace and and back to work i mean i'm guessing no no parties this time
0: well no she she's usually back in the in the carriage the uh the state landau and then back up the mile to um buckingham palace where um, a government whip has to be released because whilst the uh, the state opening is going on, a representative of the government is taken to the palace and is effectively held prisoner... Um, until the monarch is back So uh, whichever government whip is um, in residence If that does take place this, this time um, At the palace He he or she will be eagerly waiting their release When uh, the Queen is back From from, uh, from the Palace of Westminster
2: oh, Hold a hostage to make sure the Queen gets back safely Well, it'll be very interesting To see how it all unfolds next week Thank you very much for Explaining that to us And I hope to have you back again on the show sometime Thanks Thank Ben Thank you So that was Ben making his debut, finally. I mean, he, he's come close a couple of times. I nearly got him on for the uh, the classic FM appearance that Prince Charles did because he does like the classical music and a bit more knowledgeable on that than me, but we saved it up for this one instead. So Queen's Speech next week. And who knows? I mean, Russell may get allowed out and about, do you reckon?
1: Well, let's hope.
2: <laughs> let's hope. Every week, let's hope. Oh, what, you know what we haven't? We've not talked about the most important thing, Russell. I was just well, thinking about maybe you'd at least be allowed to go to the pub, and then that reminded me the slow gin.
1: Yes, have a little tipple from the from the Royal Collection Trust for launching another Buckingham Palace gin. This time it's a slow gin. They launched one last summer, which flew off the shelves. I mean, this is part.
2: We have one in our cupboards. It's part all. Oh, I bought. We bought it. Oh,
1: very good. Look at you.
2: No freebies. No, you, we bought it.
1: Like it like it like royalty, um, just like a, gin. <laughs> they've got a plug a 30 million pound black hole in the finances, so they're obviously coming up with sort of ingenious ways of trying to get money back into the coffers and of course the palaces the royal palaces are opening up um, slowly but surely I think is the best way of putting it and it's all, it's very important for people to try and support. The the Palace is because they've obviously had a very, very rough time of it, um, of being able to, you know, try and get people through the door because no no one's been open, have they? So I think I'll be doing my bit by buying some gin. £30.
2: (laughs) Totally (laughs) altruistic, I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, mean, it's, uh, I think it's—I I don't know. I guess people tend to have find it harder to have sympathy for um, for the palaces and things. Often, when there's so much grandeur there in the first place, and everybody else has had um, has had tough times as well. But yes, when when some slow gin is involved, then that's very nice little treats. Anyway, um, Russell, it's been lovely to catch up with you. We should look forward to hearing about the next round of royal adventures next week um listeners thank you as ever for joining us um find us on the social media between now and the next episode do give us a subscribe if you've enjoyed the show and leave us a rating and some stars on the itunes if you get a moment always very much appreciated but um stay safe stay well and until next time